I'm glad you guys are here. It's a, it's a beautiful morning. Um, if you have your Bible, you can open it to Ephesians chapter 2. It's going to be a minute before we get to the, the heart of that, but I want to uh, want to do a little preface work before we get there. Um, we're in our series, you can see on the screen behind me, you are not your own, you are bought with a price. Um, by the way, that's 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Um, it's not just something clever that we came up with, it's something clever that God came up with. Um, but b- before, before we get into that, I, I want to say, like, we've been talking about words and our salvation and uh, stuff like that, that, and that kind of paint the picture for us of that it's not our own. And this morning, and this morning, and even next week, we're going to be talking about money. Uh, the money is not ours. And uh, I want to say a couple of things before we get there, be- because uh, the church has been filled throughout history with uh, people in positions like the position I find myself in as a pastor or leader of a church uh, who have abused this topic. And as a result, um, whenever you come to church and a pastor talks about money, like our minds can tend to go to a place that's all they're interested in is is my money. And a couple of things to say to that. First of all, God doesn't want your money. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need any of that. Doesn't, doesn't want it or need it. God wants to go a step further than that. He wants everything that you are. Um, there's a passage in Scripture that says where your treasure is or your heart is. So the thing that you probably don't want to give to God is probably the thing that you really need to. Uh, and so I, I want to say that it, it, it's not about... Money this morning. Dave's going to talk next week more practically about stuff for us to do with money. But this morning, I want to talk about heart issues. I want to talk about the gospel. Um, I, I don't like talking about money at all, especially in this setting. I'm going to open the Bible and talk to you guys about money. I don't like that, but I like to talk about the gospel. And that's what we're going to do this morning. And I think if we really understand the gospel, we, our money's going to follow that. And I hope that's kind of the the end of where we get to this morning, is that the gospel has something to say about you and your money and how you you view your money, how you spend your money, and all those things. Uh, The second thing is, a lot of times, throughout the course of history of the church, when it talks about money, we've used something called guilt to try and make people give money. And and I want to say that if you feel guilty this week or next week about how you spend your money, chase that away. Um, because uh, Cooper hit that, that quote from Scott Sauls. I want to uh, show you this. This morning, he's, he's writing a blog about money. And at the beginning of it, he says this, this isn't about guilt at all. I hate guilt because it's a terrible motivator. Guilt doesn't stick like grace and love do. Um, I think that's that's beautiful and and it like grace and love really are a different way to say gospel when i say gospel I'm, I'm that's what i'm that's what i'm talking about that god loved us while we were still sinners and lavished his grace upon us while we were still sinners and he loved us and and that god's motivation is the gospel and our reaction should be everything about who we are um 
1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20, the verse that speaks to, to who we are and what this series is about. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. I want to talk for just a second about that price. Like that tagline has been above, behind me and, and Dave as we've preached this, this whole series. And you are bought with a price. And I want to talk about what that price means. Um, and for me, it, it really hit home last night. Um, Jen and I went out on a, a, a date with, with Ben and Stephanie, and uh, we, we got home, and we talked a lot during this date, and, and a lot that's been on my mind recently is Hannah Grace is in eighth grade, and she'll be a freshman next year, and we have absolutely zero idea where she's going to go to high school next year, and it's, we, should, we should probably know. And, but it, it brings a, a great deal of stress to me. And we talked about that a lot during the date. And like, Jen yelled at me because we're supposed to be having fun on a date. And like, my shoulders are now slumped. And so we, and we talk about mission and purpose and public, private, money, whatever. We talk about all those things during dinner. And it's like, and like on the way home, we, we picked up Hannah Grace from, she was babysitting for the Brockmeyers last night. We picked her up and drove her home. And we picked our kids up who were staying with her mom last night, a lot of details you don't need to know. <laughs> but, but they paint the picture to, to say this. is like we get the kids in bed, and, and Hannah Grace, I, like we're just about to go to bed, and, and Hannah Grace is in, is in our bedroom, and she just bounds into me with this hug. And like I've, I've struggled all night with this, this idea, and I've fought with my wife about ruining a date night with this idea, and... Uh, and she hugs me. And this is like, I want, to, I want to pause here to say, I don't know if God was speaking to me here in this moment, but it really felt like he was. And the truth of what I heard is the truth of scripture. So I'm going to attribute it to God. I, I say that so that I want you to be really careful when you think God is talking to you. I want you to be really careful about that because that's very dangerous. Um. Because a lot of times it's just your emotion that's talking to you. But when it matches up with Scripture, listen to it. This matched up with Scripture. Hannah Grace hugs me. Set up the whole night what was happening. She hugs me. And, and like, here's the overwhelming sense is God said, do you think that if I love this little girl enough to send my son to die for her, do you think I have a plan for her? Don't you think that I've got something in mind for what she's going to do for nine months out of the year in ninth grade? Don't you, aren't, are you stupid? Don't you think that I've got, if I sent my son Jesus, if I told him to leave the perfection of heaven, to come to the earth, to live and suffer and die, if he was willing and I was willing to pay that price, don't you think I can handle this? And, and I'm just like overcome in that moment. And I'm sure she's like, she just wants to go to bed and hug her dad before she goes to bed. And I'm having this tearful moment of God revealing himself to me in my doubting heart. But the, the beautiful part is this is what Jesus wants to say to you now. We're going to talk about that idea in the context of money, but but. 
I, I really, I want to talk about the gospel in the context of you. Because you're not your own. Hannah Grace is not mine. God gave her to me to shepherd, to steward, to protect, to nurture, to teach, to point towards Jesus for about 18, 19 years, something like that. And we're on year 14 of that. He gave me her for that purpose. And you are not your own. Your kids are not your own. Your stuff, nothing that you have is your own. You were bought with a price. First Peter says that you are God's possession. Do we think about that? You are God's possession. And, and understand this idea of, of we were bought with a price. And it was a really, really expensive price. Do you know the price, what the price was? The very life of Jesus. And the better part of that is like the Easter Good Friday thing. You were, the price was Jesus, but Christ triumphed over that. And what I want to do, and this is like this is the, the challenge this morning, is to somehow take that understanding and lead us, teach us to apply it to what we think about and how we view what God has given to us that we put on our banks and our, in our wallets. Because ultimately, it, it's, it's, just a, just, it's nothing more than a tool. We get bent out of shape, probably because we live in 2014 Western civilization. We get bent out of shape about money. But I hope that we can come to the conclusion that the gospel wants to speak to us that money is not about us or what we do or any of that. It's about leveraging it, using it as a tool to to know Jesus, to get Jesus. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 4. By the way, if you're ever looking for a, a, a group of Scripture to memorize, a chunk of Scripture to memorize, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 would be a good one. It's the gospel in 10 verses. We're going to start in verse 4 today. But God, and I, I want you to, to look at all that I've said and look at money and look at these verses through the, the lens of what I've said already this morning and through the lens of how you view your money. But God, being rich in mercy. Sometimes we, we go past there. When we think of rich, what are you rich? For us, it's, it's money. You're rich in, in money. God is rich in mercy. This is who, we, who God is, is rich in mercy. He has a lot of it. Because of the great love with which he has loved us, I could, I could preach for an hour and a half on, on that idea. When you view your money, understand that God loves you a lot. And he wants to provide for you. And he was so willing to provide for you that he had his son executed. Seriously. And we're stressed about money. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, 
He made us alive together with Christ. Like, this is a familiar verse, and I always want to throw the familiar verse alert out. Don't, know, don't think you know what this verse is saying, and, and come to it with fresh eyes. You were, you were dead, and now you're alive. And the reason you're alive is because of Jesus Christ. Seriously. And then, what else happens to you? You were raised up with him, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're so paranoid about here and now, this very moment. But Christ is seated with God, and we will be there one day. And the purpose of all of that, the purpose of of his rich mercy and the great love and our being made alive and the grace that he has given to us, the purpose of that is found in verse 7. The word so informs us of that. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. All of that stuff, everything that's going on in your life is about pointing you to Jesus so that you can point yourself and other people to Jesus. That's what verse 7 is telling you. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Verse 10, For we are God's workmanship. I've, I've quoted this verse many times. We are God's workmanship. God is crafting us, and one of the things he's using to craft us is money, and how we look at it, how we use it, and what, what it does to us. We are God's workmanship. And that, that word workmanship is the same Greek word for poetry. I've said that almost every time I quote this verse, and which has been 30 or 40 times in this church. God's poetry, the artistry, the passion, the creativity, the wonder, the, the, who God is, his very essence, is his poetry, his workmanship, and he's crafting that, orchestrating it, weaving it into who you are. Can we view money that way? That God is an artist and he's perfecting you. And one of the ways he's perfecting you is your money. Whether you got a lot of it or a little of it or somewhere in the middle. God is providential and smarter than you are to weave into you that this stuff you have that you call money is purposed to create his poetry in you. I think that's really deep. I think that's really incredible. We were his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Um. I want to say this statement. Everything that you are and everything that you have is meant to guide you to Jesus. Um, I'm skipping around in, in the, the slides, so I'm going to have to tell Cooper. Fire up that, that J.I. Packer quote, buddy. When we realize that life is about knowing Jesus, all else fades. heard that in a sermon about a year and a half ago, and I was going back reading an old journal this week, and I read that quote, 
when we realize that everything is about Jesus, all else fades. And here's what I want to say to you. Like, I think the inverse of that really speaks. When something else has your attention more than Jesus, when, when something else is not fading properly, look to Jesus. Or there's something that's going on in your life, in your brain, that makes you think that this is more important than Jesus, i.e. where Hannah Grace is going to go to school next year. I'm freaked out, paranoid about it. When we look to Jesus, everything else fades. Um, so uh, my, my family and I love Survivor. Who watches? Anybody watch Survivor? Joe? Sue, well, if this was like five years ago, like most of you would be raising your hands. So what I'm going to say, if you've, have you ever watched Survivor? There's, oh, there we go. All right. Better. I'll, uh, I'll tell Jeff Probst that he's struggling these days. Um, so what happens in Survivor, towards the end of every season, they have an auction. You guys familiar with this? So they have, uh, like, people have been starving for 25, 30 days, something like that, and there's usually somewhere between 6 and 10 people left in the game. And uh, so for those of you who don't know what Survivor is, it's like all these people are castaways, and they vote each other off the island, and, and eventually someone, we get down to one person, they win a million dollars. And they have these little cutaway shots throughout the whole game that says, and, and almost every person says, I'm not here to make friends, I'm here to make a million dollars. I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to make a million dollars. So their self-stated purpose for being on the show is to win a million dollars. That's their goal. That's their mission. All right? So what happens is they, they create this, this stress by lack of sleep, lack of food, and being around people who are weird and different than you, and, and you're clashing. And so, like, they strip everything away from you. And then at the end of this game, they do this thing, the auction. And so they bring this big plate of chicken wings and a, a glass of beer. And people have $500 they can bid on. They're going back and forth. And, and a plate of chicken wings and a glass of beer goes for 370 bucks or something like that. Ridiculous. And then they bring out a plate of cookies and, and a glass of milk. And that goes for $220. And then they, you know, they, they sell a bunch of these things off of this auction. And then they, they bring out this envelope. And they say... In this envelope is a major advantage in this game. And there's like, nobody's got any money left because they've all been spending it on their food. Or they've been spending it on a, a letter from a loved one or something like that. But then this, this advantage in the game t- turns out to be this, this major deal. And now people are getting smarter. I'm not going to spend my money on the chicken wings. I'm going to wait and spend all of my money on this advantage in the game because I know I'm here to win a million dollars. I'm not here to eat chicken wings. And the idea is, as I was watching that, like this, the, that episode for this season was on this Wednesday night. And as I'm watching it, I'm thinking, man, this is, this is perfect. This is the gospel. This is us. Because we think that our money is given to us as some right or privilege like these people. Every single one of these people did nothing to get this $500 and everybody gets handed 500 bucks to spend on this auction and they get consumed with my very present needs and I've got 
a hunger in me and I need to fill it and there's some chicken wings, I'm going to eat these chicken wings, right? And so they're, they're consumed by this. I've got to have this thing that's right in front of me and they're tricked from their mission. This is us, how we view our money. Why do you have your money? Jesus. I have another illustration for you. Bear with me one second. I've got to come over here and grab it. Golf clubs. By the way, how about this bag, right? It is very nice. Um, I was given this, uh, like, this week by a really good friend of mine. Um, and I thought, like, this illustration is going to be even better because, like, this is like a, a $400 golf bag. And I was, I was given this golf bag. Um, very interesting. Um, so anyway, does anybody know what this club is right here? No, it's not a putter. <laughs> this is a driver, right? What is a driver used for? No, I'm, it's not a giveaway. This is not a giveaway. Did you guys... <laughs> this is not an auction either. Would you guys shut up? I'm trying to make a point. Please. <laughs> this is a driver. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask a direct question of a, of a person. Kyle, what is a driver used for? Okay, to hit the ball the furthest distance, all right. And when do you typically hit a driver? Off the tee, the first shot of a, of a hole, all right. Um, now, what is this? No, it's not a driver, Dave. I can't wait till you're preaching next week. I'm going to destroy you, man. <laughs> it is a very ancient putter. This is a putter that's nearly as old as I am, but it's a putter. Eric, what do you use a putter for? Okay. You, right, you try to put the ball in the hole. You putt from the green with this putter, all right? A um, little bit more technical. You might not be able to see it because it's further away. This is a sand wedge, all right? And for me, I use a sand wedge a lot because I'm not very good and use a sand wedge a lot when you hit a ball, try to hit it to the green, and you miss the green, and so you... You chip onto the green with this club, all right? It's a wedge. And so it has a very distinct purpose. When I'm about 50 yards or, or closer to the green, I use this golf club, all right? Um, and I, I brought these out because I want to say that our money is simply like one of these golf clubs. The purpose of all of these clubs is for me to get a ball from a tee box to a hole, and some, the driver has a very distinct purpose. I wouldn't use my driver on a green. I wouldn't use my driver when I'm 50 yards away. I wouldn't use my sand wedge from the tee box. I wouldn't use my, my putter from the tee box. I, I would, they, they all have the very distinct purposes, all pushing me towards one goal. That one goal is to put the ball in the hole. And I, I really want us slash need us, comma, I really want me slash need me to realize that money is nothing more than a golf club in my bag 
designed for the singular purpose of knowing Jesus. But but I want to act like a little four-year-old kid who can't get his way and jump up and down, scream and yell and holler at every one of us to say, would we please think of money this way? How do, we, how do we spend our money? Chances are we spend it like those dumb survivor people. Chicken wings, I need them. No. When coming is an opportunity for us to leverage what we've been given for the actual purpose of knowing Jesus. I want to talk about Paul, three quick verses as we conclude this morning. Um, three distinct, Paul is saying the same thing three distinct ways in three different contexts. And he's saying the identical thing. In Philippians 1.21, he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says that in Philippians while he's in prison and near death, they thought he was going to die in prison and people were concerned about him and his well-being and his welfare and all those things. So in the context of, of a great deal of suffering, Paul says the point of his life is Jesus. So what's the point of your life? Easy, not rhetorical. Jesus. In Acts 20, 24, also, again, near the end of Jesus' life, Paul has planted a church, churches all over the, all over the world, and in particular, one he's very close to is a church in Ephesus. Towards the end of Paul's life, he calls the elders from the church in Ephesus to himself, and he preaches a sermon just to them, which is pretty distinct thought for me. When, because the book of Ephesians is really God's guidebook on how to be a church. And one of the, one of the essences of Paul is, is him going around planting and starting churches. And the one that was probably nearest and dearest to his heart is, is Ephesus. And they're walking through some issues. And Paul has the, the foresight and vision to bring all these elders to himself. It would be very similar to a consultant coming in here and coming in to us and, and calling me, Dave, Mike, and Jeff together and saying, I've got a message from you, and here it is. So this is Paul gathering these, these people together. I've got a message from, you, for, from God for you, and here it is. And it's Acts twenty twenty four. Throw that up there, Coop. You see it, buddy? You got it? I'll just read it. Acts twenty twenty four. Paul talking to the, this comes in a sermon where he's talking to these elders, and it's just a, a snippet from a sermon. 
but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only that I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the grace of the gospel. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Like the message that Paul has to speak to these Ephesian elders is this. Nothing that I have or am is of any significance except doing what God has called me to do. What is it that brings you stress or concern or worry or wonder or confusion? Like I know a lot of you really intimately. And I know a lot of the stuff that that you'll fill in this blank with. What is it that? It doesn't matter. It doesn't. It's only going to distract you from your mission to know Jesus and to make him known. Like, everything that we are in everything... Is there anything that's not included in everything? Everything is given to you to be used for the purpose of knowing Jesus. Stop looking at anything other than for that purpose. Let me read that verse again in light of what I just said. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The last verse that I want to read to you is Philippians 3, eight. The, the context, again, of Philippians, Paul is suffering, he's in prison, he's about to die, and he's combating people who have said, you need to do more than be religious. You need to be religious, be more religious in order to gain Jesus. Paul says that everything is loss compared with knowing Jesus. He's just laid out all that he is, all of his religious accomplishments, knowing the law, following the law, doing everything he was supposed to do. And at the conclusion of that, he says, everything is loss compared with knowing Jesus. And he actually even uses the Greek word for excrement, the Greek, shocking Greek word for excrement, in order to shock people into thinking all the stuff that he has and all the things that he's done, they don't compare to knowing Jesus. Like, here's the thing that, there, there have been times in my life and probably times in your life where you've gotten kind of close to God and gotten almost to the point where you would actually believe that. 
and then you, you just you don't take that next step. Or you get confused and you walk over here and begin to realize that, wow, maybe this stuff is, and then Jesus is off to the side. You've, you've lost focus, you've lost purpose, you've lost direction. And, and I think we get here a lot. I think we walk right up to the edge a lot of actually living like this. Philippians 3.8 of actually believing it in such a way as to do something about it. But then we get distracted by life. Or our way of life and our desires or our passions or our wants or our needs distract us and we think that something else is going to give us some sort of satisfaction. It's just simply not true. Uh, I want to end this morning with the verse that the last song we sang is quoting. This is the gospel. This is Jesus teaching about the gospel. Matthew 13, 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. which a man found, and he covered up. Get the picture of this. A guy walking along, he sees this treasure. Oh man, I don't want anybody else to get this. I'm going to cover it up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Why does he do that? Because all that I have is not as valuable as what I found in this field. So he sells everything to get it. Again, Jesus talking here, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and he bought it. When you buy something, when you go to a restaurant this afternoon and and buy lunch, you have made a decision that this money in my pocket is not as valuable as the food that they're going to give me in exchange for it. When you go to a store, you're making a a value decision that this shirt that I'm going to purchase is worth more to me than this money that's in my pocket that I'm going to pay for it. We're going to make an exchange that I think this is more valuable than that, so I'm going to give it to you. This is the point that Jesus is making here. This is the point that I think I've been making this whole morning. That Jesus is more valuable than anything that you have. It's so simple. Like, why did he need to spend 45 minutes talking to us about a 10-word sentence? Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had to buy it. Here's the secret. Jesus is free. Wait a second. No, he's not. He wants all of you. Not just your money. He wants your kids. He wants your affection. He wants everything. And the beautiful part is, he's worth it.
Let's pray. God, you are beautiful. You are so good. You are so good. God, I pray that you would convict our ignorant minds. Show us your infinite value, worth. God, I want to know you. I want to know you better today than I did yesterday, and I want to know you better tomorrow than I do today. Please, God, cause my heart to repent from fear, from worry, from stress, from burden. And give me an unquenchable thirst and hunger for you. You're the pearl beyond price. Greater than life. God, teach us that what we have is not ours, but instead simply a tool that we might gain you. And God, may we leverage that to know you and to make you known. God, I thank you for a warm house and money to pay an electric bill. I thank you for health. I thank you for all of those things, Father. But God, please take my hands off of them if they cause me to not trust you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we were each bought with a price. Thank you for our lives. May we give them back to you. It's in Christ's perfect name that I pray. Amen.